Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Assalamu alaikum. One of the things that many people struggle with is finding time to study Islam. I know life gets in the way and with everyday responsibilities such as work, being a parent, paying the bills, the list can go on and on. But what if I told you there was a way that you could gain knowledge and what continue with your work and studies and you could do all of this in your spare time? Three letters, I-O-U. The International Open University, also known as IOU. They are the sponsors of this podcast. They offer many accredited degree programs, including Islamic studies in Arabic. You can do a bachelor's degree in business administration, education, or psychology with a mix of subjects in Akida, Sharia, and Fiqh. And they are all taught by highly qualified lecturers, including Dr. Abu Amina Bilal Phillips. He's based in America and he's the founder and chancellor of IOU. I know for women especially, getting access to Islamic knowledge, you know, being able to go and travel or, you know, the timings might not be great, especially if you've got kids. Um, but so what's great, I think, about International Open University is it's online so that's that's definitely a bonus. So they call this Islamicized education and they challenge anyone to see if, you know, can they find another university that offers programs quite like theirs anywhere online. So that would be a challenge to take up and you can visit their websites to find out more about them at www.iouedu.gm. So you can learn about the programs they offer. I don't recommend many courses, I'll be honest. And when they approach me that they'd like to sponsor my podcast, again, I'm very picky. It has to be Islamic for me to allow anyone to sponsor on my podcast. So let's hear a some feedback and 
experience from a student of theirs called Rohana and she is from Bangladesh. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. My name is Rihanna and I'm all the way from Bangladesh. Alhamdulillah, I have completed my BAIS course in 2018. After studying the contents thoroughly for long six years, I could experience a deeper understanding and connection with my religion. However, only Muslims and scholars used to travel on their camels or even on their foot for months so as to learn Quran, Hadith, Math, Science from their teachers. But we at IOU are so fortunate, Alhamdulillah, that we are able to access this authentic knowledge just within our comfort zone. As we all know that seeking knowledge is obligatory on every one of us. But the time has come for us to spread the gained knowledge in a beneficial manner so that we can succeed in this life as well as hereafter. Moreover, in these contemporary times, new matters pop up every day in order to support the modernism and also the secularism of the society. But when you have the true authentic knowledge of your religion, of course, which is purely based on Quran and Sunnah, then you will be more firm in your deen and understand the newly added innovations in Islam, which you can reject easily without blindly following them. So inshallah, like I said, you can enroll today on their website. It's www.iou.edu.gm. And inshallah, you know, act fast and register before March the 28th, 2023 to join the spring semester. Inshallah. Okay, I hope that it's, you know, joining one of their courses benefits you and increases your knowledge, inshallah. So let's move on to the podcast. Assalamu alaikum and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Farhat Amin. Today's topic is should we follow Islamic feminist thinkers? Now, in the past few decades, some Muslim female academics and activists have been drawing on the Quran to argue for what they perceived as women's rights and the equality of women. The work of various individuals and organizations is often referred to as Islamic feminism. For a Muslim woman who has experienced oppression within the Muslim community, it is easy to see why she would turn to Islamic feminist thinkers for support. The prejudice of white secular feminists doesn't appeal to her identity. And in addition, she does want to gain knowledge and connect with Allah. But unfortunately, she doesn't feel welcome in some traditional Muslim spaces. So therefore, Islamic feminists thinkers, they purport to root their opinions in the Islamic tradition. So Muslim women in particular believe that their views are legitimate. Therefore, the egalitarian atmosphere created by Islamic feminist scholarships is a safe space for some Muslim women. Now, Islamic feminist thinkers are filling a void. We can't deny that. Is it not the case that only a handful of people champion Muslim women's issues? So when educated, articulate Muslim women address the misogyny amongst Muslims, women are grateful and some gravitate towards them. Islamic feminist thinkers 
gained traction because modern Muslim societies in the East and West are not comprehensively delivering women the Islamic rights that Allah decreed them to have. But how can a layperson evaluate if what Islamic feminist academics are saying is Islamically sound? A Muslim who has not studied Islamic history will not have the skills or knowledge to assess their views. So the result is that women trust them because they are pro-women and they believe that they have their best interest at heart. However, before jumping on the bandwagon, we should pause and question our motives for following Islamic feminist scholars. Do we agree with them because they articulate what we want to hear? Or is it a case of shopping around for an opinion that agrees with our lifestyle? Rather than blindly accepting their assertions, we should evaluate them without a gender bias. Just because they are women, this doesn't mean we unquestionably embrace their thinking. We should consider their views objectively. Moreover, it is essential to assess whether a Muslim academic's views align with the majority of scholarly mainstream Islamic opinions. Inshallah, that's what I hope to do in today's podcast episode. And with me, I have, alhamdulillah, I have sister Hira Hashmi. She is part of an online um, platform called Traversing Tradition. And I'd like to just welcome Hira. Asalaamu Alaikum Hira, how are you? Alaikum Asalaam, I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Alhamdulillah, it's so nice that you've, uh, well, we've spoken before on the podcast and it's just so nice to have you on again. Now, in case listeners don't know about Traversing Tradition, could you just tell us a little bit about uh, the platform? Yeah, of course. Uh, Traversing Tradition is a nonprofit online publication and our goal is to provide different perspectives on modern society through the lens of Islamic theology, uh, Eastern and Western philosophy and historical analysis. Um, One of the biggest ideas that we try to get across in our articles is that many modern philosophies and ideologies, they shape how we think about the world and how we think about different contemporary issues. Um, And so we want to analyze those same issues, but with a lens of like through a lens of a Muslim worldview. Um, mm-hmm. rather than a secular one or a liberal one, etc. Mm-hmm. Alhamdulillah. It's, I, I love the articles you guys write. Um, I, I definitely recommend, um, you know, no, listeners to, to, to go on there, inshallah. Um, so, okay, so today, so can I ask, um, have you come across, um, so the, what I was speaking about in the intro, the, the whole concept mm-hmm. of Islamic feminism, is that something you've come across? Yeah, and interestingly enough, the way that I, you know, in, in high school and university growing up, you know, feminism is presented as this innocuous sort of praiseworthy, like, you know, we want equality for women. And, you know, being a woman, who doesn't want that, right? That idea of, you know, we've been oppressed, we have these issues that are pertaining to women, you know, abuse and domestic violence and rape. And, you know, now that I'm in law school, you read so many, you know, criminal cases where it's just, you know, heartbreaking. And so, the way that it was presented to me was, oh, this is simply a way of just saying I advocate for women. And I didn't realize how loaded of a term it was and how the history is actually much more complex than that uh, until until more recently. And uh, my husband mentioned that, um, you know, uh, one time his MSA, for example, uh, where he was at, at university, there it kind of split into two because one group wanted to have a quote unquote inclusive Jummah 
where it was women leading the jama'a, hijab or no hijab, and the congregation mm. was mixed. And then the other half was like, no, 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 you know, this is wrong. This is uh, blatantly incorrect. Your jama'a won't even be accepted. It doesn't, you know, abide by any fiqh guidelines. Um, so now, you know, you start to see more of those, um, you know, ideological components uh, really manifest itself on college campuses uh, and working with MSAs that's something I've started to notice in recent years especially with my younger sisters is it's it's gone from you know we just want equality you know we just want women to be treated in a humane way to we like we want women to be you know leading dramas and we want you know hijab is not obligatory and it, and it really manifests itself in these ways where i really think muslim women should take a step back before adopting this term because it's not just this innocent kind of idea it actually is being spearheaded by individuals who have very um inappropriate uh and incorrect uh positions when it comes to aqidah when it comes to fiqh when it comes to methodology mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and th- this is um it's very interesting you said that that it's a new phenomenon and what I noticed is that on and this is one reason why I actually looked into this well there were two reasons really uh I was noticing on social media so that would be whether it's in Instagram in particular that um there were Muslim bookstagrammers who they are uh promoting the books of particular Islamic feminist thinkers and right, so right. therefore I looked at them and I thought, oh, let me see these books. And they're, and they're saying that they are, uh, and these are women with quite big followings. And um, friends of mine were also liking the pictures and saying, oh, yeah, I, I really want to read this book. So I thought, let me have a look at them. And then and then I thought, well, OK, let's. Uh, so then I Googled the books and then I thought, OK, I'm going to read the books or read extracts or read papers on the books because some of them were quite long. And then, because I thought if um, rather than just, you know, like you liking it just because it's by a woman and just assuming it's good because they're Muslim and they, and they look Muslim and sound Muslim, I thought, I, I think I'm, I'm not going to be, I, I want to dig a bit deeper. But then also I, because um, I've, I've, I have an Islam and feminism course on my website, Smart Muslimer. And that was one area that I, I knew like if you go on YouTube, you'll see Muslim women just, you know, like I would say they are lay people who are saying Islam and feminism, um, they, there's no problem, it goes together fine. Islam is a feminist religion. But then I thought, I I need to understand where is your where have they got that idea from? You know, what did they read? Who did they listen to that made them think that there is Islam and feminism can go hand in hand? And that's what made me think I actually have to read their works and, and listen to their talks. So, so we're going to focus on, um, th- there are many women, you know, in the Muslim world um, and, on, and in, you know, in the West, but I'm going to focus uh, on contemporary academics, four in particular, Amina Wadud, Asma Balas, Keisha Ali and Aisha Hadayatullah. And the reason why um, I think we should just focus on them is that they are the most vocal and um, they've written a number of books. So, and seeing that our audience really is mainly Muslim women in the West, they are the books that people are reading. Um, Now, they don't always agree with each other, but the one thing that they do agree on is that they're all pursuing, um, they say equality and justice for women within Islam, that using an Islamic framework, that that is what they are saying. Um, Now, 
one of the okay so what the the theory the method sorry that they use is um now this word I find it so difficult to pronounce sometimes hermeneutical method and so um, yeah thank you hermeneutics is a theory and methodology of interpretation especially the interpretation of um it, when I looked up the meaning it's a biblical text and phil philosophical text so it's very it, it uses interpretive principles or methods and when immediate comprehension fails and includes the art of understanding and, and communication. Now, what's interesting is their approach is not the same as those used by traditional Islamic scholars. They show open mistrust towards the authority of transmitted knowledge. So they use their own methodologies to explain their interpretations. Um, now that was something I, I did think, why don't they use the traditional Islamic scholarly method um, that, I, that straight away that I thought, why not? Why are you rejecting that? Um, and um, why do you think they they do that? Well, so that's a big question. Um, one thing I would uh, no, 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 it's OK. Inshallah, I'll do my best to answer it, what I think. And of course, you know, listeners yeah. can have their own input. But one thing to understand is a lot of these quote unquote scholars, I say scholars because they are scholars in one sense, but they're not what we think of when we say ulama, right? Where you have been trained yes. in classical Arabic, you've been trained in fiqh, usul fiqh, and all of these things that make you eligible um, or qualified to do interpretation. Um, so in that sense, they are not Islamic scholars. Um, when we when we look at any issue, we have to start with Islamic epistemology, right? What are what are our sources of knowledge, the Quran and the Sunnah? And with that, you know, there's rigorous methodologies. You know, you have the methodology of Imam Abu Hanifa, I'm Maliki. So, you know, within the Maliki Madhab, you have uh, Imam Malik, uh, Rahimullah, and you have, you know, Amal Ahl al-Medina. You know, these legal concepts, you know, you look at the um, actions of the people of Medina, you, 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 um, you know, the way that he interpreted different hadith and like conflicting hadith. There's, it's, it's very rigorous and it's not a free-for-all. Uh, Dr. Amina Wadud, one of her, you know, one of the issues that I find with her methodology, I think, uh, I think, was it in a book or was it in some article where she says something along the lines of authority belongs to everyone, it doesn't belong to a select class, anyone can interpret Islam, right? Mm -hmm. So my biggest issue with her is that she, or like her methodology, she seems to say that, you know, this, this sort of Islam is for everyone type of deal, which is a problem because then how can you define a certain um, type of practice or certain understanding of Islam as more valid than another, right? Because even like very extreme groups, not to get too deep into that, but they have their own interpretations, right? Mm -hmm. What's On what measure do you say this interpretation of Islam is more valid, like objectively more correct than another if you say Islam can just be whatever anyone wants it to be so off the bat that's one of the issues mm -hmm. um as for why you know a lot of these thinkers tend to create their own methodologies one reason that i've come across is they see some sort of inherent gender bias in the existing uh, history and methodology, right? So mm -hmm. most scholars in our history were men, you know, most uh, vast majority of books were written by uh, male or ulama. So they see this as a problem that, you know, they say, well, they're not women, they can't understand the female experience. That means that their, their understanding of the tradition is inherently biased. So we need a quote unquote, female interpretation. Mm -hmm. Now with, 
the existing methodology, you know, you're, you, you have a parameter of the Sharia, right? And so there's opinions. There's just some things like, you know, for example, a woman leading a Jama'at, that's something that's like clearly not allowed in any opinion, any valid opinion. So in order to get to that, often, you know, uh, these, uh, some of these women, they um, will, uh, one way to do that is they'll negate the sunnah, right? They'll negate the role of the hadith and they'll say, no, 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 you know, these hadith are, like misogynistic and, you know, we, we don't know if they're authentic or not is another reason I've heard. So they'll just kind of remove all of that. And what they're left with is, is the Quran. And if you don't have the hadith, which gives you the context, which gives you you know, which which is basically how we, you know, uh, which uh, goes back to the way that the Prophet Sallallahu practiced the Quran, right? He was the best example of the Quran. Without the Sunnah, we don't have access to any of that. So what you're left with is the Quran, which, you know, it does have some rulings, you know, it has the uh, verses of Ahkam, uh, which are, the, you know, the rulings, but, you know, it, it without the Sunnah, it's not contextualized. You don't, uh, and, and it's not specified, right? Many things, mm -hmm. you know, from salah to wudu, exactly how to do it. That's not in the Quran. That's how, that's from, you know, the, the companions narrating from the Prophet Sallallahu um, So without all of that, they're left with a very flimsy methodology where you can just kind of look at the Quran, try to pick and choose what you want, try to impose on it this preconceived notion uh, that you have of um, gender equality. Uh, so that's, kind of the way that I think of it when I see mm. this is just a faulty understanding of Islamic epistemology, a sort of like, you know, just a faulty methodology. And on the one hand, yes, like I, I can understand, you know, contentions. Like there have been times where I was growing up, I saw a certain hadith online. Um, and, and I hate that people do this, you know, they'll mm. post like a really, you know, a hadith that, you know, people don't, shouldn't be looking at until, you know, they're a more advanced student of knowledge. It, you know, when it comes to, for example, concubines or, you know, uh, controversial issues like that, where I was exposed to that at a point in my life where my iman wasn't even, you know, uh, I was still growing, like I, I was still trying to, you know, develop basic belief and, and learn about basic aqidah. Mm -hmm. and, and so I can understand like that immediate, you know, uh, feeling of trying to wrestle with these issues, but the solution is not to do away with all of it, you know. Um, so that was, yeah, that would be, well, understand this. well, yeah, I, th I think that it does explain it well that seeing, um, it seems that they, there is, they do, okay, let's just take, uh, let me actually quote Amina Wadud. Um, so she, she said in her book, um, uh, Quran and women rereading the sacred text from a woman's perspective. Uh, so this is the beginning of the quote traditional tafsir is that they were exclusively written by males. This means that men and men's experiences were included and women and women's experiences were either excluded or interpreted through the male vision, perspective, desire or needs of woman. That, that's, I know it sounds a bit funny when it's written by that, I took a direct quote, but um, yeah. it is, so it is, it's the male perspective. And Asma Balas, she's written a book called Believing Women in Islam unreading patriarchal interpretations of the Quran. She says, beginning of a quote, since the Quran was revealed into an existing patriarchy and has been interpreted by adherents of patriarchies ever since, Muslim women have a stake in challenging its patriarchal exegesis. So you're right, they, 
that's just two of them. Um, it yeah. is, as you said, they will look at that. So the, the going back to the question of why um, do they not follow traditional scholarly, you know, methodologies? It is because they say it is it's patriarchal. That's why. So therefore, we are not going. We're going to find our own way. But now this is the th that um, you could take, you know, you selectively take parts of Islamic history. You could even, but also you could, I think a lot happens in, people look at modern times, you know, Muslim countries, the way they are at the moment and societies and the access or the um, lack of access that women have to knowledge. And then they can look at that and say, yeah, they're right. What these women, that's my experience as well. I haven't been able to attend Halakha at the masjid. I can't go to, you know, a retreat where there's lots of men, you know, it can be seen that, yeah, it's um, it, the setup in a masjid or in a school, you know, an Islamic um, university is patriarchal, but that's just taking a few examples. That doesn't mean Islam is patriarchal and the method of the scholars is patriarchal. That's a bit where we have to start being more, um, do some more research. And Alhamdulillah, as, as you know, Dr. Akram Nadwi, um, he actually bothered to do that research for his book, Al-Muhadithat, where he asserts that women played an active and prominent role in Islam's formative years. He provides numerous examples in his book where he contends that women had access to religious authority as men did. Nadwi's work provides biographical accounts of female scholars throughout the Islamic history, throughout the Islamic tradition's history. Um, and he factually dispels the myth propagated by Wadud and Balas that only no, the only noteworthy female Muslim figures are found in the very early years of Islam. I don't know, have you had a chance to read the book? I, unfortunately, I haven't. I haven't either, um, but I've heard, you know, really, really good things uh, about his work. And it's interesting because, you know, um, a, a lot of, you know, the these individuals who take issue with, you know, the tradition being patriarchal, what they're doing is they're looking at the current state of affairs, which is completely true. You know, I agree. There's issues with access, um, you know, to the masjid, you know, there's issues with, you know, even should women, you know, get the systemic education or not. And these are all problems, you know, I'm originally from India and it's a problem there as well. Um, but the issue is, is like, you know, does that mean we can negate all of, and all of usul because we believe there to be a level of bias. And I, I recommend, it's a short read uh, by Ustada Ariba Beg, uh, Gender Bias and Fiqh Rulings, Not Really. It's an article on Ilmgate. And she kind of discusses how, yes, like, you know, perhaps there is, uh, you know, a limit to how much uh, women were, uh, you know, were actively involved compared to men. We're not disputing that. But the fact is women were engaged, you know, unlike, you know, what Barlas is saying or what um, Dr. Amina Wudud is saying. Um, for example, many of the rulings on menstruation, which is something that these women do take an issue with, right? You know, why are women not allowed to pray when they're menstruating? You know, a lot of these rulings uh, come from Aisha radiallahu anha, right? They mm -hmm. come directly from the female companions. Um, and often Aisha radiallahu anha would take stricter opinions than her male counterparts, right? So there's also this assumption that you know, only if women were involved, you know, we'd have, quote unquote, more lenient uh, leniency uh, when it comes to women, uh, you know, regarding women's in the masjid or you know, regarding modesty or whatever. Um, so I do recommend this because I think we do, we need much more research uh, like Sheikh Akram Nadwi is doing in, in one, like showing that women have been engaging 
in the tradition. And two, just understanding that um, individually, yes, there may have been scholars who, you know, uh, were, you know, products of their time, um, but, but overall as like an entire tradition, they, in the methodology, right? It wasn't like, you know, Imam Abu Hanif or Imam Malik sat down and thought, oh, you know, how can we make things hard for a woman? They, the scholars mm -hmm. weren't overall concerned with, you know, let's try to make things easy for men and hard for women. What they were doing is looking at this body of literature, looking at the Quran and thinking, how do we understand what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is commanding us to do in this situation? Mm -hmm. You know, that is the role of a scholar. Yeah. And with the whole issue of patriarchy, it's in like they, um, I don't know how much they are willing to admit that they are affected by liberal feminist thinking, that the whole mm -hmm. concept of patriarchy and looking at the whole like, world history, when looking at history, that finding and, um, and also there's a lot of assumptions made here that um, our history was patriarchal and some, um, well, they say the Western history was patriarchal. So therefore in the East or in the Muslim world, it must also have been patriarchal. Um, and so they've come to that, that's where they're starting. And then they therefore then assume, okay, because it was, um, they, were, they ignore, they and they do choose to, because uh, even um, there were so many books now written um, by, you know, Muslims and non-Muslims that talk about the achievements, whether in, uh, okay, well, in public, they'll, they'll talk about the public achievements of women, whether that's, you know, um, opening of a university by Fatima um, Al-Fihri in Moroccan, in the Moroccan city affairs. Um, <clears throat> also, there, there, there were many, that's just one example, there's Fatima bin Alauddin Al-Samrakandi, and she was a Jewist who gave fatwas. By the way, for, for the listeners, um, there's an article on this whole topic will be on um, Traversing Tradition website. So there's a lot of facts here, which I'm not going to mention all of them because I'd, I would actually I recommend you go and read the article that will be published in January. But there are many, I've listed many examples in, in, in the piece. But what's interesting is that um, Islamic feminist thinkers, not only do they choose to ignore the public achievements that are recorded, also, the private, you know, the, um, for example, the achievements of, so it was, it was yourself here that told me that um, Imam Malik and Imam Shafi, um, they were great because their mothers were their first teachers and scholars. I, I wasn't aware of that. But those are, the, all the, these achievements are ignored. And you think, again, that's not being honest and that's not being objective, um, that, and they're, they're propagating this idea that our history is patriarchal because that's what they have chosen to believe rather than actually investigate and um, research. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, and the, you know, I would add to that that their measure of what is success and what is, you know, evidence of, you know, women breaking the mold is in itself a very like material measure. I mean, we have to understand that throughout history, across non-Muslims and Muslims, women just, you know, they didn't produce texts. Texts weren't there to like, you know, extrapolate on women's private lives usually. And I, and I have no doubt that there were so many more accomplishments of women of all kinds that we're not aware of. And, you know, two, back to the idea of like how we're measuring these ideas of quality, right? They're not going to, people aren't likely to see, you know, uh, I think there's a recent article actually on uh, traversing tradition about the myth of, you know, Fatima Ferry, how yes, it's, it's very an easy thing. Yeah, it's, it's very easy. People like to point it out because it's like, oh, she founded a university, not just a mosque, but a university, which, you know, if you read the article, that's not true entirely. But, you know, they're not likely to point out like Rabia al-Adawiyah, right? Someone who's like an extremely pious woman or uh, Sayyidina Nafisa, who was a teacher of Imam Shafri or, or women who were of a more um, scholarly class, right? They they want to point out like Khadija radiallahu was a businesswoman. Well, why do we, you emphasize that over the, you know, her being the first person to accept Islam and her her piety and her devotion, right? Like we have to look at what also do we tend to see as bastions of equality or what what measures do we see as um, evidence of, uh, you know, empowerment? And, and that's something that I, in recent years, have taken an issue with just because I agree, like I do want women to be empowered in all spheres, but at the same time, like, being the mother and being the reason being the one who's uh pushing your son to be like one of the best scholars in islamic history that in and of itself is amazing right Mm. um uh sacrificing for the family that's amazing both for men and women like that's something that's so praiseworthy that we we can't negate it may not have the glamour of wrote like this amazing tafsir or she founded a university but that's just that's just as praiseworthy and that's just as amazing Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. And um, and you think if it's possible for Sheikha Kram Nadwi to do this research, um, they could easily have done it, but they choose not to. Or even, and this is the thing, and this again, where it comes back to who do we take our um, knowledge of women's rights in Islam or the role of women in Islam, that just because it's a woman, and this is something we really, and uh, um, as women, I think, you know, we gender doesn't have to, well, for men, I mean, but gender does not have to colour the dis, every discussion. It Gender isn't, this is a very modern phenomenon where it's like gender has to become, be, in, be brought into the discussion um, all the time. Uh, and it doesn't, it's an obsession that does, in, in Islam, we were, Islam isn't obsessed with gender the way, you know, modern feminists are because you know if you, you like it's it's really strange how 20 odd years ago these discussions were not happening so like you said in the MSAs you think people oh we do have to think how much have we absorbed from liberal thinking and that they're the way that they have this um you know if we don't have everything the same then it's not it's not fair 
Uh, and it, that's just something that I see with their, with these Islamic feminist thinkers, that's something that you notice a lot when you read that their works, it's constantly being brought into areas that have, there's no need for it to be there. But okay, let's let's move on to something else that, uh, and you, you touched upon this at the beginning, that they cast doubt on the authority of Hadith and Sunnah. Now, this is very, very problematic. Um, so I'm going to read, um, Asma Bala said in an interview, and the links again in the article, all the links and the quotes are there for you to read for yourself so she says for a believer the quran is a divine discourse and the hadith are not hadith are the result of human compilation in her book inequality and discrimination derive not from the teachings of the quran but from the secondary religious texts the tafsir and the hadith amina uh, wadud calls um she says there's sexism within the hadith that's something else that she said. So, so therefore, they because they believe that if any hadith, what's interesting, they do, will take some hadith. It's they don't reject all hadith because when I was reading the book, the ones that agree with their thinking, they will take that. Mm -hmm. But anything that disagrees, so for example, anything that um, explains the authority of um, the father or the husband. Or when we look at the family structure, so you know the hadith about we all shepherds, and it gives explains, you know. So they will disagree with that because they one they think it's patriarchal, it's not equal, and just what the con it just made so much sense after I listened to the, the discussions about that. So yeah, it is. I can see why sisters they see it and they don't understand it, and you can assume the worst. But the thing is, we don't make assumptions about Quran and Sunnah. We gain knowledge. We go to those who have more knowledge than us. That, that's what we should always do. But unfortunately, now then this is the problem. These women, it's very hypocritical. Not something mm -hmm. that is, again, on Instagram and on... These are the things that are not mentioned. Um, they'll just keep speaking about equality, but they won't mention this aspect of their thinking. But okay, also, actually, have you noticed, that in England anyway, these... Um, writers and thinkers they're mentioned in the guardian they're mentioned in, in the independent I, I see their mm -hmm. names coming up very often that they'll refer to them as they'll call them scholars and so again a lay person would think this person knows but I'll, I'll take my understanding from them that's something I've noticed happening quite a bit as well but okay so another thing okay yeah we touched upon this a little bit but Islamic feminist scholarship is heavily influenced by liberal thinking so feminist thinkers fail to acknowledge how much liberalism has affected their study of Islam. This is evident in their definition of equality. So now their definitions vary between, number one, strict sameness, that's one way they view it, which, which then renders Islamic rulings that differ between men and women to be inherently oppressive. So Keisha Ali, she's an um, American um, writer, she said, said in a, um, this is from her former website, feminismandreligion.com. Patriarchy allows interreligious marriage between a Muslim man and a Christian woman, but not the reverse. Rethinking Islamic law without questioning its basic presumptions about male dominance will not take us nearly far enough. Whose Sharia is this? It's, certain, it's certainly not mine. I cannot believe that it is God's. So she, again, pay, again, patriarchy is coming into this, but it, it's not patriarchy that allows uh, a Muslim man to marry a Christian woman. It's 
Allah that allows it. But again, because it doesn't, it's not equal, therefore she's rejecting it. And there's a number of things, other um, rulings that she rejects. But again, that's the, I know, for example, this is Mona El-Tahawi. She says exactly the same thing about polygamy. So therefore she says we should reject it. If it's not equal, we're going to reject it. And so, um, so this idea of st- that if the, because the laws aren't strictly the same, then it's problematic. Also, it's some some of the other thinkers they define equality as agency, and by this it's they mean choice. And this is why some of them. Uh, so, for example, Amina Wadud, she. Uh, this is a quote, direct quote from her. I have recognised and lived the idea that hijab is a public declaration is a public declaration of identity with Islamic ideology. I do not consider it is a religious obligation, nor do I ascribe to it any religious significance or moral value per se. It is certainly not the penultimate denotion of modesty as mandated by the Quran. And that was an um, online discussion. So again, it's not an um, obligation, in another article, she wrote that if you ch- if a woman chooses to, then it's okay, and so does Leila Ahmed. She she's another thinker. So again, this again equality is. So the point I was making was that they take their definition of equality. It's either strict sameness or agency and choice. And where have we heard that before? You know, th- that's exactly what liberals are telling everyone. Yeah. So again, it's uh, a- another very problematic piece of advice that they're giving to women and the thing is that I know I know women who they don't wear hijab because of Amina Wadud and because of this and they'll say she said it so she's a scholar she knows and what they'll say to me is what do you know you're not a scholar you can't how you're not on the same level as Amina Wadud so why are you even talking about this and yeah in terms of like you know, no, I mean, like in terms of Islamic, like being able to take opinions from her, like she's just as, as you know, not credible, right, as your average layperson in terms of actually taking her item. And it's interesting with this, you know, the, I actually see some issues with, you know, the way that they're saying equality is agency and it's choice, but then, you know, not accepting the fact that, you know, polygamy is allowed. What do you say to a woman who willingly wants to engage in, you know, polygamy mm. right so there's actually contradictions with the limits to what they believe is choice like it's actually just majoritarian values right um mm. they, they you know you don't really see people around if there's a convert woman who wants to put on hijab right like where is everyone supporting that as a choice so i do see actually contradictions within their own understanding but you know this this just kind of like you said falls in line with larger secular liberal values and taking issue with any kind of authority the ego as you know as 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 god basically right you know religion is coming down to my level and whatever i want and what, what however i interpret it is valid there's no like you know imperative for me to improve myself and hit this religious ideal right and i think that's kind of you know the way that christianity is practiced in the us at least that's kind of the route it's taken, right? People just kind of, it's a free-for-all. And unfortunately, if this is the kind of mindset that we, people are starting to inculcate, I, you know, that might be the way that, you know, uh, Muslims in the next few generations will start to practice is it's just choice, whatever I want, everything goes. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of understanding there is an objective ideal, the sin isn't in not meeting that ideal, the sin is in, 
in, in saying there is no ideal or that this isn't, you know, obligatory or is, this isn't a virtue, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's very true. Um, now, the other thing that, again, this is a very modern projection that they, um, you know, bring in discussions is that, so the idea of sameness, that the rule, any rule that is different, uh, any rule in Islam that a man in a place of authority in particular, they, they have a, a real, my goodness, they've got a, a, a hatred, it's the only word that can be used, that for the family structure in Islam, and that they have a, this idea that men should not have, the authority that Allah has given a husband and a father in the family, they have a big problem with that, to the point where, astaghfirullah, that even in the Quran, when it's mentioned the story of Ibrahim salam, that um, when he yeah, was told, yeah. he was um, told to, you know, that his wife Hajar, he was told to leave her in the area in in the desert. Now we all know that story, and it's. But when um, Amina Wadud, when it's uh, against an article for feminism and religion that she wrote, that she the whole way she looked at that narration in the Quran, it, it was very derogatory, and she was insulting Prophet Ibrahim Salam. Be, because she didn't agree with the way he had treated his wife, ignoring the fact that it was Allah's command that he was following. Now, um, and so this is a direct quote from what she wrote, in Muslim cultures, the patriarchal family ruled supreme, and yet Hajar was literally thrown out in the desert to fend for herself and her child without even a second thought to the impossibility of her location as confirmation of patriarch. Um, how then do we reconcile with Abraham? Now, Staffula, she then says, the deadbeat dad, Sarah, the selfish, and then she swears, and even God, the benevolent, question mark. So now this is the, and I think now, this is like the culmination of where their thinking can lead a Muslim, that it's led them to um, question Allah's commands, question the um, actions of, of a, a prophet, Islam. And the thing is, and they have, she's had no problem repeating that. She she tweeted about it. She, yeah. And again, I, I really do think many Muslim women, they don't know that these are the kind of vile things that um, she's saying. And I think if they did, they would, they would be rejecting her. They think twice about following her. But it does, I think the mo more, the most problem I think is that it can, uh, not all women will get to that point, but she has got to this point. And um, I think that's the kind of, um, like we have to be very uh, aware of when we go down this path of looking for absolute equality um, in the Islamic texts, this is what you're not going to find it. And what's interesting is that um, you mentioned Aisha Hadayatullah, that um, both her and Keisha Ali, they're both written books, they admit um, that the Quran is not a feminist text. And they'll say, they said that they searched for it. So I'm, I'm just going to quote um, Aisha Hidayatullah. She said that um, she criticizes the blinding dogma that gender equality is the norm established by the Quran. And she then said, in the time that has passed since then, I have become only further convinced that if a Muslim, if Muslim women are to come fully to terms with cases in which the Quranic text lends itself to meanings that are detrimental to them, we must begin to confront these meanings more honestly 
without resorting to apologetic explanations for them or engaging in interpretive manipulations to force egalitarian meanings from the text. Furthermore, I have also come to believe firmly that we must begin to radically reimagine the nature of the Quran's revelation and divinity. So because she's saying, yeah, well, gender equality is not the norm, but the, and therefore we have to start reimagining and questioning the divinity of the Quran. Now, I was really shocked when I read that because she is uh, to question what uh, the divinity of the Quran. What is she saying? Yeah, I mean, it, that kind of methodology, if you're seeking out gender sameness, gender equality in, in the you know, secular liberal sense of the word, you're not going to find it. And I think Dr. Amina Wadura also uh, reject it, rejects an ayah in the Quran, you know, the one about uh, right, striking them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, I think you also have a quote here. Uh, Even though I've tried through different methods for two decades, I've finally come to say no outright to the literal implementation of this passage. And mm-hmm. the problem is, you know, taking gender norm, you know, gender equality as a premise, it, it's going to lead you to this point because you're not going to, you're not going to see it in our tradition. You know, mm-hmm. we do have to understand like when our understanding of equity, gender equity in relationship between the genders, yes, there's an element of patriarchy in certain roles, you know, men are qawamun, you know, they have responsibility over the family, they have uh, different roles in the public sphere. And we also have elements of matriarchy, right? When it comes to children, when it comes, you know, they, they, they're prioritized for custody of the children, things like that, right? So the, the premise they're coming from is what's leading to them to do this, when instead they could have gone in the other direction of like, no, you know, we're going to question this premise instead of questioning the sources, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, uh, so therefore, in conc- I, I took a lot of time to research and, and be accurate in the quotes that I was using for, for these women, because it's easy to mi- um, mislabel people, feminists, or it's easy to misquote, because we dislike what they're saying. It's easy to not be so rigorous in our research. But I thought, we have to be honest as Muslims, if we, you know, and so please read the article, which is on um, traversingtradition.com. And, um, and if, because, and and please pass, share it with, you know, sisters, your, well, anyone who you feel being influenced by their thinking, because I genuinely believe that when women learn just a little bit about what these women are saying, they won't follow them. It's a lack of um, knowledge, I think. Here, that that's what um, has. It, that's why they're gaining, you know, an audience. But but what is also interesting is they do actually the number of people who do listen to them is still actually very small. It's not a huge. It's just that certain voices are quite loud. That's all. But when I was looking at, you know, you can. I know this might be a shallow way of um, judging, but they don't have that many. They're not that active on social media. They're not. They don't have that many followers. But when someone, I find every now and again, someone will use them to uh, what's the word? You know, to justify not following Islam. That's what I don't like. like it's like they're being used to justify where when someone wants to disobey Allah, um, they've made a lifestyle choice. And because they, they want to have some kind of Islamic, you know, like an opinion to say, oh, no, I'm still, this is still an Islamic opinion. They will wheel them out. 
And I thought, but actually we need to show that even wheeling them out, they, they, like you said, they don't have their basis and their principles are not, it's, it's not, their foundation is not in Islam, but Alhamdulillah, Jazakallah khair here. That was, uh, uh, it was really nice for you to come on to just discuss this topic. I know it's not the easiest topic in the world to talk about. <laughs> no, Alhamdulillah. Um, I would add one thing, you know, you're uh, completely right. I do think within the Muslim community, the influence they have is very small. The issue is the outside community really loves to cite them, you know, breaking oh, yes. barriers. Yeah, I think I read a Guardian article recently about like a woman's only mosque, uh, which, you know, it, it, when they say that, usually it's not women's only. Usually it's like, you know, uh, LGBTQ affirming, um, you know, woman-led Juma type of thing, which is not valid at all. So, you know, I, I think even though, you know, people who are aware of these scholars and I say scholars in the term meaning like academics mm -hmm. uh, are, are small. A lot of the ideas that they are peddling, you know, are, you know, making its way down to the lay people. And, it, you know, especially for our women, I, it's, it's really, really important that we make accessing items and Islamic knowledge accessible for them, mm -hmm. you know, uh, putting them in touch with qualified Islamic teachers and really making a space where they do feel comfortable asking these questions. But at the end of the day, you know, they come away with this understanding of, you know, Islam is the truth. And, you know, we women absolutely do have a place in this tradition. It's just the way that these scholars are outlining it, these academics are outlining it, that's not the way we wanna go. So uh, I do, you know, because of that pressure from the outside community and just kind of, you know, I remember at least in the US growing up, you're always on the defensive, oh, you know, why can't women do this? And why can't women do that? And it can become difficult. So I definitely do empathize with a young girl who's struggling, but, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, inshallah, as we, you know, we grow as a community doing that for our young women and men as well, men as well, to uh, make Ilm more accessible and, you know, really empower through Islamic knowledge, not despite it. Yes. Yeah, that's Alhamdulillah for that. Um, okay, then inshallah, we will speak again, I'm sure, soon on another topic. Uh, Thank you again, for having me. Alhamdulillah, it's a pleasure. Pleasure as always. Okay, Aslam. Mainstream media outlets do not cater for the needs of you as a Muslim. There are topics which they will completely ignore. For example, the hijab ban that is happening in India, the Islamophobia that Muslim women all over in the West are facing. They don't even report Palestine or Syria in a balanced manner. So through my podcast and my YouTube channel, I discuss the topics specifically related to Muslim women, that particular mainstream popular culture will not discuss. Topics like critiquing feminism, topics such as number of hijab bands, niqab bands that are happening in India, in France, in Canada. These are challenges that Muslim women are facing. And I'm going to keep continuing to shine a light on these topics. So inshallah, I would love your help and support in continuing to create this content for Muslim women, which is challenging the very negative Islamophobic narrative that we are being given. I think as a Muslim creator, we should be producing content that is Islamic, that is well-researched and provides hope to Muslim women and men that as Muslims, when we see an evil, we can change it with our hand we can speak about it or we can hate it in our heart and I think some of us are 
able to create videos and podcasts and others who are not able to do that, like yourself, you can support that work as well and gain in the reward, inshallah, by contributing and supporting to my Patreon page. The link is in the description below. Inshallah, may Allah reward you and please do the well for all the Muslims around the world that we can continue to challenge this Islamophobic narrative. But always remember that Allah is with the righteous. Asalaamu Alaikum. One of the things that many people struggle with is finding time to study Islam. I know life gets in the way and with everyday responsibilities such as work, being a parent, paying the bills, the list can go on and on. But what if I told you there was a way that you could gain knowledge and what continue with your work and studies and you could do all of this in your spare time? Three letters, I-O-U, the International Open University, also known as I-O-U. They are the sponsors of this podcast. They offer many accredited degree programs, including Islamic studies in Arabic. You can do a bachelor's degree in business administration, education or psychology with a mix of subjects in Aqidah, Sharia and Fiqh. And they are all taught by highly qualified lecturers, including Dr. Abu Amina Bilal Phillips. He's based in America and he's the founder and chancellor of IOU. I know for women, especially getting access to Islamic knowledge, you know, being able to go and travel or, you know, the timings might not be great especially if you've got kids. Um, But so what's great, I think, about International Open University is it's online. So that's that's definitely a bonus. So they call this Islamicized education. And they challenge anyone to see if, you know, can they find another university that offers programs quite like theirs anywhere online. So that would be a challenge to take up and you can visit their website to find out more about them at www.iouedu.gm so you can learn about the programs they offer I don't recommend many courses I'll be honest and when they approach me that they'd like to sponsor my podcast again I'm very picky it has to be Islamic for me to allow anyone to sponsors on my podcast so let's hear a some feedback and experience from a student of theirs called Rohana and she is from Bangladesh Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh my name is Rihana and I'm all the way from Bangladesh Alhamdulillah, I have completed my BAAIS course in 2018. After studying the contents thoroughly for long six years, I could experience a deeper understanding and connection with my religion. However, only Muslims and scholars used to travel on their camels or even on their foot for months so as to learn Quran, Hadith, Math, Science from their teachers. But we at IOU are so fortunate, alhamdulillah, that we are able to access this authentic knowledge just within our comfort zone. As we all know that seeking knowledge is obligatory on every one of us. 
but the time has come for us to spread the gain knowledge in a beneficial manner so that we can succeed in this life as well as hereafter moreover in this contemporary times new matters pop up every day in order to support the modernism and also the secularism of the society but when you have the true authentic knowledge of your religion of course which is purely based on quran and sunna then you will be more firm in your deen and understand the newly added innovations in islam which you can reject easily without blindly following them so inshallah like i said you can enroll today on their website it's www.iou.edu.gm and inshallah you know act fast and register before march the 28th 2023 to join the spring semester inshallah okay i hope that it's you know joining their one of their courses benefits you and increases your knowledge inshallah so let's move on to the podcast hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlingbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.